this is Property Matters, a weekly catch-up on all matters property and the world of property supported by Fairview International Property Consultancy and auctionproperty.co.uk. And we're live every Sunday from 10am on YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn and our website propertymatterstv.co.uk. And if you're watching on our website, please leave us a Google review. If you're watching via social media, then get involved in the conversation in the comments section below wherever you're watching us. Our email address for any suggested discussion topics is hello at propertymatterstv.co.uk. And if you don't have time to watch the whole show live with us on a Sunday morning, then all you can have to do is to get the podcast, which is available from wherever you get your podcasts from, over on the far side of the screen. And we're live on Dilsey Radio every week as well. So let's take a look at this week's property news with our property expert, Joe Joshi. Hi, Joe. Yes, good morning, good morning, Paul. Good morning to all our viewers and listeners, wherever you are. Uh, yeah, property is the hot subject at the moment, coming up to uh, election time, and uh, they're throwing all their sort of toys out, see what, what it brings for us. Yeah, we're just over a week away, of course, from the uh, budget, which is uh, going to be talked about yet again this week as to what we may or may not get in terms of property. So let's just take a look at our first story. This is quite an interesting one. Um, Aging first-time buyers, are they blurring mainstream or later-life mortgage lines? Well, this is a story this week in uh, uh, Mortgage Solutions. And um, what they're saying is that uh, most people, if you ask them today, bought their first property when they were in their 20s or even early 30s. Yet the average age of a first-time buyer has been going up for some time. It's now into the mid-30s, and they reckon that... uh, now people are even getting in their first property as a first-time buyer in their 40s and even 50s, would you believe? The number of first-time buyers in their 20s is in decline, while the number aged over 40 continues to increase. And perhaps somewhat shockingly, the number of those who are over 50 has increased by uh, 30% in the last five years. And of course, that leaves a large cohort of people who no doubt feel the chances of them ever getting on the ladder are slim to none, never mind having a first mortgage at any age, which traditionally many people will be paying theirs off. So there are now people, of course, Joe, who are coming in in their early 50s, would you believe, as a first-time buyer, when most of us are thinking about getting rid of our mortgage. What a change. (laughs) Well, yes. I mean, it, it, it's not a surprising change, but it is it is a, a dramatic change as the, as time has gone on, primarily because of the affordability factor and also for, um, about uh, employment and, and the actual the gap uh, between being able to borrow the amount. Um, and I think the biggest issue, Paul, has always been about the deposit, really. Uh, deposit and stamp duty are two costs that are really a big burden on buyers. First of all, they've got to find a substantial amount of deposit. And uh, obviously, the whole life cycle has changed. There was a time, I go back, wind the tape back 40 odd years, you know, people used to be buy, able to buy together, even if they were just partners, their joint income, etc., was something that gave them uh, a good base the prices of property were probably a little bit more achievable, a bit more affordable. Um, Then came, and this is really where it actually, I I believe, went wrong. It went wrong when the buy-to-let market came in. Um, And again, the burden falls back on any of the governments that they did. They thought, well, actually, we'll make life difficult for um, any other ways of earning money. So it was difficult for them to have long-term deposits um, which maybe give them an income. So people that had money or were looking to retire started to buy in a buy-to-let program in order to be able to say, okay, well, look, that's going to be my pension, that's going to be my fallback. And they became the competitor to the first-time buyer. 
So it was between a buyer who's going to buy as a first time buyer or a buyer who's going to buy as an investment. Well, the investing buyers obviously had deposits, had that money because they already had perhaps another property. They may have released money from that property in a, in a, a maybe a, a remortgage and then thought, right, I can actually now afford to buy another property. And subsequently, those properties increased in value. So that's where the real disparity, in my opinion, came along is when the option of the um, first-time buyers was just changed to first-time buyers and investors. Of course, now we're at the other side, aren't we? The investors are no longer interested in being the investors. In the meantime, that bubble has been blown up to a proportion where first-time buyers are finding it hard to find the amount of deposit that they need um, and, of course, the affordability that, that is happening. Hence, the time, i.e., the you know, person who's buying in the 20s, 30s is now actually buying in their perhaps you know, 40s and 50s. And of course, that's blurring the lines for the mortgage companies because effectively these first-time buyers are almost in the later life lending category whereby they will be looking for uh, equity release uh, for, from, from, from the property that they own. Um, and, and I guess that's really... Uh, surely if you're in, a, in your 50s and getting your first-time buyer's mortgage, you don't really take that on with a view to actually ever completing that, I wouldn't have thought, because unless, of course, you're able to take a 20-year term, and even then you might still have finished work by the end of that, but that's going to mean your repayments are going to be very uh, much higher than they would be if you took a 30 or even a 35-year term. So presumably they're thinking, well, it's just cheaper than renting, so I'll get a mortgage, and then there'll be equity hopefully in the property by then, and I'll, um, I'll just sell and take what profit I make. Yeah, Hobson's choice, really, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's no, there isn't much of a choice for them. Um, either they carry on renting, and obviously rents are, are now exorbitant. Again, the same principle applies because it's a supply and demand factor. The demand is high in the rental side. The supply is now limited because a lot of the so-called investors are now sort of you know jumping ship and thinking, well, actually, I don't, I don't want to do this anymore. It's not fun. Um, and so they're having to pay more because there's less a supply of um, investment people who have got properties that they want to let. So then the first time buyer says, well, actually, it's actually probably cheaper for me to buy because, you know, the rent's there. I mean, recently I was speaking to somebody who's, who took the steps of um, taking on a first time shared ownership scheme, which clearly pointed out that the rental and the mortgage value actually equated to less than half of what they would have probably paid for the same as a rental property. So assuming it's a one bedroom property and they were renting it out at 14, 1500 pound a month, they were actually now paying, you know, inclusive of the rent share to the uh, people and their mortgage, probably about 700, 700 pounds a month. So of course they halved, literally halved the amount. So there's no uh, problem in, uh, and, and at any time that somebody should go and buy because I think that is obviously the way to go but the reality of it is that um, you know people don't have the huge issue now obviously there'll be a level of discrimination to say well actually at the age of 50 you know I take a 75 percent 75 um, uh, sorry 25 year mortgage and I'll be 75 by the time I end up paying that actually I, I retire, retire early so what happens the lenders will start to say, well, actually, you're not in a position to take a 25% a 25-year um, mortgage. You might have to take a 15 or 20-year mortgage, and then their payments are up. So really in a, in a quandary in that sense. But there are um, mortgage companies now beginning to look at 
you know, longer terms, perhaps 35 years and so forth, or in some cases, um, equity release type of operations where they give a 100% mortgage over a period of, of age. So there are lots and lots of areas that are being discussed, but certainly it's, it's now a very challenging time for the first time buyers. Yes, because some of these uh, older first time buyers could be on a fixed pension uh, for, for part of their mortgage period. So one would think that, I suppose this this phrase mortgage for life that we hear about now, whereby maybe when you uh, take it out, you've got a low start in terms of the repayments. And then perhaps that balloons in the middle where you pay back some of the discount, if you like, that you had at the beginning. And then it eases off towards the end when, you're, when your income is going to be reducing, perhaps. Yeah, I mean, those are ideals. But unfortunately, the calculating way the, cal uh, the calculations are done by the mortgage lenders is not always uh, you know, pragmatic like we would think about it. They have their own and they've got to earn their money um, and on their interest. So they, they will make it not as easy as we'd like it to be, but uh, perhaps should I say challenging uh, is probably the right word in order to make sure that they are trying to do the best they can for the uh, first time buyers. But that time, that whole area of first time buyers has now changed. And I think that that has been down to the fact that there was this two horse race as opposed to a one horse race. And that was there was investors that at the same time as first time buyers. I guess the uh, the whole sort of hybrid approach of uh, part interest only um, uh, or lifetime mortgage. So, you know, maybe the fact that they just actually pay the interest only and live in that. And therefore, there's a, a much lower monthly cost, which they could have afford, be cheaper than renting. But actually, then the property just goes back to the bank at the end and um, everybody gets what they take out of it. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the two people that will always get paid, as we already know, is the bank and the tax man. They're all, you know, we, we may spend our life trying to avoid um, paying either. But when it comes to the end, they do have their hand out. They have a charge on the property and they'll claim their you know, death duties and inheritance taxes and all the other taxes that are, are there. So you can spend your life trying to avoid them, but ultimately they will get it. So, and whatever's left is going to be left to the families um, that are there. So, yeah, I mean, I think um, the, the reality of the subject is that it, times have changed so much that first time buyers are now at 40 to 50, or 35, 40, 50, that sort of age. Um, primarily because of affordability and primarily because of, of um, the you know the property values and the two things that they've got to always consider in their spend is stamp duty and of course deposit now deposit wise you know you can have 95% you have help to buy uh, mortgages there's all sorts of other packages out there and of course um, you know our, our, our resident um, mortgage advisor Bob Singh will probably throw his tuppence worth of what products that are out there and so forth. But from my point of view, those are the two things. And of course, the, the, the biggest thing is a stamp duty. Now, it's okay if they're buying less than £250,000, but if they are buying and they're looking to buy more than a one-bedroom flat and they're looking into a two- or three-bedroom and they go over that, then of course, there is a chunk of stamp duty money that they've also got to find too. Yeah, to, I mean, even if, if they do just do, for example, interest only, and then they get to a point where the repayments are uh, not going to be possible because they're on a fixed income or pension or something, then if the property goes back to the bank, what are they going to do then? They're going to have to rent again. So the, prop the problem just has been postponed, hasn't it, to some extent? Yeah, yeah it's, always, it's always just been pushed to the side. But the reality of it is that if they can, whether it's through shared ownership or through... Um, you know, first-time buyers or collectively. I mean, you, you have to um, 
bear in mind that there are up to, I think, certainly four people that can be on a mortgage application. And that's how life really started. You know, it started before buy to let came into into process. People would, you know, group together as a family um, and get onto the property ladder. And of course, um, times have become a bit more different, challenging and more selfish where people are saying, well, actually, I don't want to be part of a group. I just want to do it all by myself. Um, and if you want to do it all by yourself, then of course you've got to find a bigger deposit um, and, and have an income that's going to support that. The suggestion here by Patrick Bamford, who wrote the piece, is the fact that um, there needs to be a more holistic approach to... Because to, a lot of these people probably won't have a particularly good pension, so therefore they might even struggle to, to raise a decent fixed income to continue paying those payments. So the suggestion that that financial advisors respond in terms of making some kind of commitment to having some kind of pension which has a mortgage wrapped into it. So basically there's a sort of financial protection throughout the entirety of one's working life. Yeah, so the pensions are, you know, there have been, um, people are now sort of looking at and relying on it, but throughout the last 20, 25 years, the pension schemes have not been particularly rewarding um, for the ordinary folk. They might have been okay for the chief executives of many. And when you see somebody is leaving a company after a couple of weeks, they, you know, even like, you know, a, a month old prime minister has ended up with a hell of a, a, a salary and a pension scheme for just stepping up and, and messing up uh, everyone's life. But the reality is that, you know, they haven't been as good for the individuals and there have been no other vehicles, no other um, routes for people to be protective. I mean, the only other possibility is if some sort of life insurance. But when times are difficult, which they have been and they still are, you know, um, the things that first go first are things like your life, life insurance, your endowments and so forth, because they are a luxury product. And if you can afford not to pay, or, or not so much afford, but if you just feel that, I'm not going to pay another £250 a month towards a, a life insurance that may be no benefit to me, but it's going to be beneficial to the, the, you know, my, my family when I, I go. Right now, the pain is here for me. And so people will say, well, that's just got to go. And that's what happens. So those, those products don't have it. And, and the, neither the government or the financial institutions have come up with no alternative for people to, to give them comfort in investing and so forth. I mean, the right now, the good, good thing about the people that are saving is the interest rates went up. So, you know, for the first time, they're actually enjoying a good return on their deposits sitting in their bank account. But equally, as you know, this week, the banks have enjoyed a tremendous amount of benefit out of that too. Um, and um, so, you know, they're, they're not passing anything on to other people. Um, and that will continue until uh, such time as um, some sort of product is brought in to keep those people investing and interested in the financial market. Financial markets are so volatile, you have to be on it all the time. And that's part of the reason people actually end up with property because at least they know, even though there's a mortgage on it, they can touch it and feel it and see it and put a key through the front door and say, well, look, you know, this, at least I've got this, even though I've got a mortgage on it, you know, I've got some sort of control on it. Whereas when they're looking at some products, They've got no particular control on it, and the control is done through the financial. Is it your risk? We might chuck in an X, Y, Z, but then tomorrow you might not have a single penny. So that doesn't, you know, inspire people to think. Well, actually, I'll take that road because that's that's a good gamble. They take the gamble with something like property, even if it's a small property somewhere in the Outer Hebrides. They still think, well, actually, I've got something that you know may be worth another ten thousand pounds, maybe. 
Well, we're continuing to focus on later life um, um, property and lending, if you like, because as we approach the March the 6th budget announcement, it's inevitable we'll hear more from what uh, Jeremy Hunt should or should not be doing. And uh, obviously on the 6th, we will find out exactly what he is going to be doing. But part of the uh, pre-budget inevitability is a continued focus on stamp duty, of course. Over the last few weeks, um, this is a piece by Stuart Wilson, who's the chairman of Air Club. He says, I've read articles suggesting further holidays for first-time buyers increasing to the thresholds Increasing of the thresholds in order to take people out of the tax when purchasing, plus calls to scrap stamp duty altogether. A further suggestion, and one that has been notable in recent years, comes in the form of whether stamp duty for those wishing to downsize property is still viable. Also, it has been asked whether the government should instead exempt downsizers to allow them to move to smaller properties and free up the larger homes that are hard to come by for those seeking to move up the ladder, particularly, of course, families. But it's interesting to see that a recent report commissioned by the Family Building Society and sponsored by Lords Mandelson and Heseltine urged policymakers to look at this option. It suggested there were considerable numbers of older homeowners who uh, wanted to downsize but were put off by the large costs involved, particularly the stamp duty, of course, on the purchase. Um, I've no doubt, he says, that uh, some individuals in this situation would ideally like to move out of larger properties and perhaps being put off by the sums of money involved, not, of course, just the stamp duty. This could well be seen as wasted money, but also in terms of moving and the estate agency costs and everything else that comes with it. But most people, of course, do tend to downsize to things like bungalows. But interestingly, bungalows, of course, are now in becoming a rarity because so many of them are getting developed. So they're being bought by developers, not people who are retiring and, and, and need to live on a single floor due to health issues potentially, but by being bought by developers and of course they're taking the large piece of land that they usually historically come on and then building um, up on the stories and of course turning them all into flats. So we're losing the properties that those sort of people will want to buy, which is just as bad as the stamp duty cost. Are you there, Joe? Yes, I mean, that's, that's a, yeah, yeah, I'm still here. Can you hear me? Yes, I can, yeah. Okay, yeah, so um, the answer to that question, the bungalow thing has always been on a bit of a losing wicket because it's a small market um, and a coastal coastal market. People tend to go to the coast um, looking for bungalows, etc. Um, and they've never been an attractive property. So, yes, developers look at them or and see whether they, they can actually add another floor and change that environment. It's either a, a row of bungalows and then you've got somebody who's stuck a chalet on it or they've stuck another, you know, another story on it. Um, and that becomes a family home. Um, and the largest attraction for bungalows is that um, they've got space. They've got an already reasonable garden, plenty of iron garden to the front and perhaps even to the back. So they were set out with good plots. Uh, they weren't actually tiny little bungalows with tiny little gardens, which actually, if you think about it, should be the case because most people that want to go into bungalows don't properly want to do a lot of gardening. But uh, anyway, um, they were designed in, in such a way that that's, that's exactly uh, what they, they did. So yes, there are people now buying them but they're they're not and they're not building them again um primarily again there's not many people that want to go to the bungalows also there's a there's a psyche in this isn't there those that want to go to bungalows or, or feel they need to go to bungalows they feel that you know they've aged and they don't particularly want to be seen in a bungalow because that's what it it becomes or you're old and therefore you've got to go to that but so new new schemes have come up you know where they've had um people like 
um, builders like McCarthy and Stone who have built um, homes where they have all of the facilities in-house um, and, and, and therefore they create a new community for, for people of 60 plus. Um, and um, so there, there are changes that, that come into to that side. Now with a bungalow situation, much a plot value and, and it offers the scheme. The argument about downsizing and um, stamp duty, to be perfectly honest with you, I've, I've over the years been to many people that probably should have downsized ages ago. They can't manage the property. They can't even get up the stairs. In some cases, some people haven't even been upstairs in their home for some time because they managed to create everything downstairs. But again, it's a bit of a, a, a mindset. Mindset is that I don't particularly want to lose this lovely house that I've spent most of my life building. Um, creating and, and putting all that effort and energy into my garden that has now got hundreds and thousands of pounds worth of plants, time, energy, and so much put in. I don't want to do that because the builder's going to come along and just bulldoze it away and I'm not going to see the benefits. So there's a psychological, emotional buy into that. And no matter how much stamp duty they reduce, you're not going to get these people to shift out of that. Um, and um, so, you know, that, that part, and also they're probably at that other end of the spectrum where they are quite expensive properties. And so the handful of people that are gonna look at them, you know, so if you had a hundred people, you might find four or five that look at that, as opposed to the three bed semi, the modern terrace, modern development and modern estate that's being built up where people, you know, first time buyers, young families are gonna be probably 40 or 50% of, of the people that are gonna look at that. So that's why they wanna take them down and put more on. I think the demand is much, much higher for family homes, i.e. houses. Um, and the idea of, of flats is really not a good family situation uh, because the children don't have a chance to go out and play in the garden and so forth, even though most of them spend most of their life on a on an iPad sitting in front of the telly anyway. But the point <laughs> is that that uh, they they don't have that choice, that, that sort of scenario in a, in a block of flats. So there is a demand uh, for um, terraced houses or houses with a garden. Um, and so people have to move further afield and that doesn't happen in the cities. That's, that's the space, you know, we had race for space, uh, which was the big thing, wasn't it? To go out and, and, and have that space. I think in this case, we've got to reverse it. I mean, we've got, you know, we haven't got the race for space. We've got the race for probably no space to, uh, in this case, uh, because all the people want to get back into the cities and, you know, go back to work and, and, and want to commute. It's very interesting because they say that research at the end of last year from Quick Move Properties revealed that just 1.2% of all new build completions were bungalows. Now, this kind of home accounts for only 7.6% of the UK's entire housing stock. In other words, the number of bungalows has been shrinking because why would a new build developer with, with a finite amount of land build a property that takes more of that footprint when they can use less land and build two or three storey homes on it? It's a question of economics, therefore not just bungalows, but the wider supply of properties available to those wishing to downsize has shrunk. And of course, the price of property has continued to rise, making it more difficult to move, certainly to provide to properties that fulfill the needs of the average downsizer. And that is the problem, isn't it? Because if they don't build anything for older people to move into, where are they going to go? Well, this is what they're happening. As I said, the people, there are communities being built, um, uh, which are, are, are probably, in all honesty, a, a, a right thing to do. Uh, it's just that, again, it's that psyche of mindset. I don't want to live with other people, though, you know, 
And this this week alone, I I went to um, a site in Southend on Sea of all places. I've travelled the, the UK uh, to be honest with you um, uh, this this week, and um, <laughs> so there you have uh, uh, you know uh, apartments within a complex that actually were quite endearing and quite important. They each each property has its own front door, so they live independently, but at the same time they are part of a community where they have people available on site to assist um, in every shape or form medically and, and sort of support and, and anything that they need to go to. Um, and I think that's probably why where the communities are going. But someone who's downsizing for a from a you know a million pound property for example that've had all the space and all the freedom and all the things doesn't want to be cooked up into a small one bedroom flat in a community. Exactly. Yeah. Um, they don't want to be part of that community and they will don't they won't downsize and, and will they downsize to a bungalow? The answer is they probably won't even downsize to a bungalow. It's a huge barrier in their mind of thinking, well, I'm not gonna go there. I'm not old, I'm not gonna go there, I don't want to do that. But I know, and I'm sure other other agents and, and auctioneers will say that you go to a property and sometimes they've never been to, you know, um probably three quarters of the house. They've never actually been in it, let alone paying someone to come and clean it and keep up to it. It's just they just can't even move around that so but it is a mindset and and that's it's a hard one to get down so even if they drop the stamp duty for them i'm not sure in my uh, experience that that would be a motivator for them i think it's a, a dream it's a wish on, on on the wish list of saying well let's drop the stamp duty and these people will downsize i think that they will never downsize um i you know i've been to more homes than i probably have hot dinners and i can see them they're just not willing to move out of what they have spent their life building. Um, they'd rather go out in a small box um, and know it's done and dusted than actually go to live in a box. And the other, you're, I think you're probably right on that fact. But the other thing, of course, is that they're often tied with these um, sort of McCarthy and Stone type places. They're often tied into some kind of lease contract where they've got to pay for all the services and the maintenance of the building. So they won't have that on a proper freehold and well, just because yes. just because you can't get up and down the stairs doesn't mean to say you need to go into warden assisted there is uh that's an interesting point and there is an argument with that um and the argument is that whilst you do need those services and those services are available and you do pay for them indirectly you pay for them anyway you just don't realize them. so you might live in a big house you might have bigger rates all by yourself you might have all that electricity to pay for the house you'll have all those costs which you actually will reduce but then you if you wanted assistance and you wanted someone to hire to come and clean your house and look after you medically and you know support you so everyone's going to get paid somewhere so um the concept of the mccarthy i'm not advocating that it's a good concept but if you look at it in, from a numbers point of view it actually works better because at least they're in a cleaner more healthier environment knowing that they've got assistance of all sorts and independence so it's a combination but the point i'm trying to make is that you can't get this into their head they're not interested in going there it's just that a psyche that i've got this and i've got um, i want to stay here um, i'm sure many kids now you know when we were young you know we wouldn't dream about putting our parents into uh, a home assisted or anything like that but because life is very different now People are busy, both husband and wife are busy, kids are at school, the school runs this, that, the other. Just don't have that, you know, time to accommodate 
and assisting. So that's where people like McCarthy and so on and other operators like that provide those services. But the psyche of that person who's spent their life building that home, building that garden, putting the energy and time into it is that I don't want to go. Um, and they don't want to go into a box to live into a box, but they'd rather go in a box out at home and good night God Vienna, basically. So that's the only box they're interested in. They're not interested in the 500 square foot box that they think they're going to live in after having lived in a two and a half, three thousand square foot house. Mm. Final story of the week. Um, Chancellor Hunt has said that he's, or it's rumoured that he's written out a plan for a 99% mortgage scheme. So it looks like it's uh, coming our way on March the 6th. It was first rumoured in January and could see prospective home buyers put down as little as 1% deposit on a property while the government backs the rest of the loan. I think we've seen these situations before, haven't we? Although industry experts have called for buyer support in the upcoming budget in the form of a relaunch of the Help to Buy scheme or a stamp duty discount, there are mixed views on the effectiveness of a 99% mortgage. Uh, First-time buyers, of course, have had a rough ride over the last few years, what with uh, rapidly rising prices and inflation and uh, interest rates and so forth. But is the 99% mortgage the solution that everybody wants? Because a lot of people are saying, well, actually... There's going to be an element of uh, cost protection in the payment, so they're going to be more expensive, these 99% mortgages, so you're going to be paying more per month in the first place. But more importantly, Joe, with prices falling at the moment, is it not a real risk that they could be in negative equity very quickly? Yeah, I'm not, uh, under the current circumstances, I'm not really convinced that the 99, I think it's more of a, a election gimmick than it is actually a real gimmick. Um, it would have been probably better to continue to do the help to buy, uh, which obviously is only good with new builds. So, of course, that will, you know, have fueled the building part. Building costs have gone up so extortionate that the number of builders, unfortunately, that are um, finding it difficult to build or, or uh, are going to the wall in terms of their companies. Primarily, it's, it's very, very high. They can't just afford to do it. Building costs are just astronomical. Um, most builders know. I mean, to give you an indication, there was a time only not not even 10 years ago, we were looking to build properties at, you know, anything between 100 and 150 pounds a square foot, 175 pounds a square foot would have built you a very nice luxury house. And that was really top of the tree. Well, the average now is £250 a square foot. It's double the money um, and maybe up to £300 a square foot. And, and that really is, is the killer in the building market. Um, so I'm not sure that... Um, so the only thing that can motivate that is obviously something like Help to Buy, where people will come in and builders have to put some money in and the government has to put some money in. And of course, the, the buyer has to put some money in. But it's no good for the second-hand market. And this 99% mortgage is, is good for both part of it. But the question is that, you know, um, how much deposit um, that people can have and how high that rate's going to be in order to get the 99% mortgage. And is it still worth for any buyers to say, well, actually, I'm better off renting for a while because there's no way I, I can afford the mortgage payments. Um, then, of course, there's always the indemnity insurance that they'll have to charge up front. So anything over a certain percentage, the lender will have to secure um, uh, by, by charging a policy. So whilst on the real front page, the 99% could look attractive, it, by the time you've actually added the cost of stamp duty, the indemnity policy, policies and all the other bits, that, and maybe even some cases, some sort of arrangement fees, 
um, you know, you actually end up not with a 99% mortgage. You're probably theoretically ending up with a 95 or perhaps even lesser mortgage at a higher rate, but it sort of conjures up that image of you're getting a good, good, good deal. It's the old adage, isn't it? One ninety now sounds cheaper than two pounds and a penny. Peter Stimson, who is the uh, head of product at Empowered Mortgages, said this last week that he called the idea an irresponsible attempt to grab headlines rather than create solutions and is indicative of a government that's run out of ideas. He added a 99% mortgage is, in essence, a 100% mortgage. The 1% deposit hardly contributes to preventing losses, and this will be reflected in the rates, which in all probability will sit above 6%. And there's there the go. rub, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So that, that's what I'm saying. It's, it's, it's really a gimmick. Uh, of, of you know going to a store and saying look this is down to 99p or one pound 99 is really two pound and a penny we just shaved it because you 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 the customer thinks that you're getting a bargain at one point you know 199 and that's exactly what i think is happening here it's a 99 percent mortgage but really it's not been thought through so um buyers i would recommend that you you know take good advice from you know financial advisors look at all the numbers before you actually commit to it but let's see what they do. They they will bring all these you know gimmicks in, and I think some in you know, all honesty, most of it's a bit too late. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see how rates above six percent in terms of a mortgage payment on that deal, how that would look compared to say an equivalent uh, rate rental payment. Um, so at the end of the day, you know, because if you're managing to pay your rent every month, then um, that's you know you should be able to keep cope with the uh, mortgage payment, assuming that it'll be lower. Well, that's 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 the idea, isn't it? But it doesn't work like that because when when they go to, to borrow money as a mortgage, the mortgage lender is doing all sorts of, you know, stress tests in order to make sure that if it's okay for twelve months, you might be okay to pay your rent. But what happens over the next twenty five years or twenty twenty four years of the balance of your mortgage? Are you going to be able to do that? So they look at the stress test over I think five years to see if you can actually sustain that. Well, if you're at an age of 50 plus, you know, your stress test is gonna be even more stressier because your age is against you now. Um, and uh, and so they're gonna say, well, actually you might even, you know, not be here in five years time, let alone pay a mortgage of 20 years time. So there's all sorts of, you know, scenarios that I probably will take into, into consideration. But yeah, an extremely challenging time. And, uh, you know, let, let's see what the chancellor has to say. Indeed we will, and that'll be um, just ahead of next week's programme, because uh, well, it'll be just after next week's programme, won't it? Because it's the yeah. 6th of March is the, the budget date. OK, that's all we have time for this week. Thank you so much for watching Property Matters. Hope that was helpful and indeed interesting. See you again for another Property Matters very soon.